We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, Jen Ramsey here for this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. And this week, I am so honoured and excited to be introducing you to a wonderful woman, Auntie Barbara Randall. So Barbara Randall originally was born and grew up in Connecticut in the US. And in 2008, she made a trip to Australia for her second grandchild's birth. On that trip, she had an incredibly fateful meeting. She met Aboriginal elder Uncle Bob Randall, and they very quickly connected and became married. And she found herself living in an Aboriginal community called Mutajulu, right beside Uluru, which um, is a very large red rock in the middle of Central Australia. Uncle Bob was a traditional custodian for Uluru, so that was their home. And what was very beautiful was that Barbara and Uncle Bob were able to open their home and share uh, his spiritual philosophy and ancient wisdom teachings with people from all over the world as they visited. And because of Uncle Bob's presence, he was also, they were both also invited to travel very extensively around the world, sharing this, these ancient wisdom's teachings. In 2013, Uncle Bob set up an educational charity. And before he died in 2015, he was very concerned about the global environment and future generations. So he asked his wife, Barbara, to get these teachings out to the world through the charity. So charged with this task, Barbara is dedicated to preserving and sharing this extensive legacy of Uncle Bob's ancient wisdom teachings with the world through the Bob Randall Canyini Foundation. So I feel very honoured to have you here today, Barbara, and um, very excited to hear from you about your journey to freedom and this incredible life that you've lived. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Janet. It's, uh, it's quite an honor to be here. And I, I don't know that I've ever heard such a beautiful introduction. It, that was a, a really clear and accurate synopsis of a very long, epic story. <laughs> well, well oh, thank you so much. Well, it's, and it is epic. I think that's definitely it. You've, you've traversed countries, you've traversed, traversed cultures, and, um, and you're, you're, I think one of your beautiful roles in this, in this world is to connect us all together. So, um, but perhaps we should just wind back to the beginning. I'd love to start back at the beginning of your story, wherever you'd like to start. I think certainly growing up in Connecticut as you did with your own family environment in, um, you know, you had a very interesting upbringing. So perhaps we could just rewind back to there and you could share a little bit of us with us of your journey to freedom. Of course. 
that's another epic story, but I think the beginning is always a good place to start. Uh, I grew up at a residential treatment center in the country for children with special needs that my grandmother started in the 1920s. So my peers and my playmates and my, my, uh, my early childhood immersion was with, you could say, the most diverse range of human beings that you could imagine. They were from every walks of life, every race, every nationality. And of course, the differences were, uh, were very specific to every individual. So these were children with physical disabilities, with mental retardation, with autism, with schizophrenia. And that was in an era when there weren't, um, there weren't federal and state services in place, I would say, in a whole way for people with special needs. Um, and in fact, you know, in the 1920s, a lot of times these were kids who were kept away from society. Mm -hmm. So it was the ultimate expression of diversity in every ways on hundreds of acres of rural land and the medicine for not only them, but for all of us was the connection and the love mm -hmm. and the family relationships that was very caring and very accepting of everyone, whatever our differences. And I was no better or uh, yeah, than anyone else. So I wasn't treated differently. I was part of the flock. And the motto of that place was where everybody is somebody. How beautiful is that? What a, what a visionary your grandmother must have been to have set that up in the 1920s because I can imagine in that era, we're sort of heading into the depression, um, there wouldn't have been a lot of facilities or services for differently abled children. So what a vision she must have had and a heart. She was, she was a teacher and she simply saw, she didn't see differences. She saw children. She saw young spirits that had every right to whatever it was that they needed. And, um, and so she never turned any child away, no matter what their needs were. And the, there's a long story involved in the school and, the, and Camp Kuhika, um, which stands for Culture and Health Camp. It's still in existence. You can Google it. It's called Camp Waterford or, or Camp Kuhika and Waterford Country School. So they're still running now, um, going on about to have their 100th anniversary. And at any rate, it, it, that was a, that upbringing basically gave me an opportunity to never know through direct experience, the judgment of individuals for differences. So no differences were judged. They were simply different in the same way that I might have brown eyes and you might have blue eyes. And, and every person had a right to their own human dignity and to their own all-inclusive connection to each other as family and to the land and to the animals on the farm and to the lakes and to the orchards and to the gardens. And so nature was also a big part of that medicine. And the interesting thing about it, I've always, uh, I've always seen, you know, when I, 
came of age and, and left home and went out in the world, I actually didn't understand the world. I didn't understand the, the human way of relating in the wider society of America. Wow. And it wasn't just America, I know now. It was, it was modern humanity. It didn't actually make sense to me. And so I was very clumsy and awkward in my social skills. Really? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Well, you can just imagine that when your playmates have, uh, you know, mental retardation or whatever, and they're allowed to be themselves, there's a lot of expression that doesn't always fit into the way we communicate with each other. Mm. So, you know, I, for example, for, oh, the longest time, decades, I would say, didn't know how to listen very well. I would just blurt things out quite bluntly and talk over people and, um, yeah, I didn't, and, and I, I certainly didn't understand the subtle cues. I didn't understand passive aggressiveness. I didn't understand uh, sarcasm. Because you hadn't experienced it growing I never up. I sarcasm. Wow. So you, in some ways you'd experienced sort of, I guess, the full expression of the spirit, but without any of those sorts of more, if you like, I don't want to use the word sophisticated, but that, yeah, that overlay that actually can confuse communication as well. Yes, mm. that's a, an accurate description. Mm. What's interesting is, you know, fast forward 50 years and I came to be with a man and be, you know, taken into a culture that had amazing similarities. I felt so at home in so many ways, even though there were details of cultural rules of, of relating, for example, through kinship that were so subtle and so specific. I didn't know those. And so mm -hmm. I made a lot of, uh, you could call it mistakes, but I just, you know, I was just myself. And so there were a lot of things that I had to learn the hard way by doing the wrong thing, so, so to speak, culturally. And the beauty was that it was all held in the same loving acceptance as it was when I was a child, no matter what child came to be with us. And, and children were never turned away. No matter how difficult, for example, another agency might consider them, they were never turned away. And the and and so it was that same loving acceptance that I was received through my husband. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? I mean, how incredible that you had this upbringing because that would not have been a normal upbringing in American terms in those years when you've been growing up, but what a perfect training ground for you to then come and have this experience here in a, in a different culture, but this, same, what you're saying is the same cultural framework of true acceptance and acceptance. If you made a mistake, it was okay, just that you wouldn't be turned away. What a, I mean, clearly there was some mapping out here done in your life by the sound of things, it, you know, for you to make these connections. So just before we 
leave that experience of your growing up because I mean that's that could be a context of a whole episode in itself but you mentioned that you learned this this notion of acceptance and then when you went out into the world it was quite different and you felt you're a little clumsy in your communication what were what, what was another thing that you gained from that childhood that you think equipped you for the world that perhaps gave you some some skills that perhaps others might not have had in mainstream society? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is the nature connection. So, you know, we were on the land and there were several hundred acres mm -hmm. of wooded land with natural lakes and swimming areas and orchards and and farms with animals and gardens, you know, in those days they didn't call it organic garden, it just was. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, I had the, the great blessing of having two extraordinary, generous parents who always valued joy above all else. And, you know, I remember at, at my father died a few years back and I remember at an honoring he was given at the school and I happened to be in America at the time. And a woman who had worked there for 30 odd years spoke and she said, she said, she told a story I'd never heard before, but she said, you know, when she first got the job there, she was maybe 19 years old. She was young and insecure and, and she was doing the overnight shift in the girls' quarters in Upper White House, they called it. And she knew that at nine or 10 o'clock at night, whatever it was, that Uncle Herb, my father, was gonna call to do the nightly check-in to make sure everything was okay. And so she prepared and she got all of her, you know, documentation lined up so she'd be ready to report in. Sure enough, the call came at the designated time and she very nervously answered the phone and my father said to her, did the children go to bed happy? What, a, what an amazing man. What a great question. He used, to, he used to plant trees in the woods. Beautiful, healthy, thick, you know, woods with berries, wild blueberries, and, and, and you name it, beautiful stands of trees. And he used to plant trees in the woods. That's, that says it all. It does, doesn't it? And my mother was a nurse. She came to the school uh, in the 50s when she applied for a nursing position. And so she came in the summer, which is June there, June, July, and they were married in December. So at any rate, she, they both had a great heart of service. They both had a great positive outlook on life had no, no concept or no uh, relationship with cynicism at all. Mm. And, and every, it, it, you know, their lives were dedicated to being in service to children. And that's what they did so beautifully. And just your whole, I mean, what beautiful parents, what a blessing to have been brought up in that environment, but to, to hear that their life was about joy. So they were completely, on Freedom Unlimited, I often am talking here about this concept of choosing your perspective in life and you get to, to choose how you look at any given situation. 
And here they were in this life of service, but their choice was we're in service of these children and we're going to do it joyfully. I mean, what, what incredible people they must have been. What role models. What a blessing. Well, my, my mother's still alive. She's Is 90. She? And, and here, here's a little bit of my mother, a little taste of her. her. It's not just about her. It's her attitude. And it's about what's possible for all of us. Mm. So when I was visiting and she had just had the kitchen remodeled and I expressed some concern about how high it was for her to put the, the glasses away out of the dishwasher, she says to me, but look, I, every time I do it, I can stretch my arm up and look at my range of motion. For a 90-year-old woman, I think that's really good. That says it all, doesn't it? She's seeing the positive in everything. She okay. sounds a delight. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful story. And what great work that they must have done. So lots of honouring to them right now. That's just so beautiful. Oh, look, and, and it's continuing. So that, that uh, and, and I think it's, it's important to speak to this because what it says, what I'm really sharing is that living well, living in a good way, living in beauty, living in, in, uh, in all inclusiveness is not something that only original people know how to do. We all know how to do it. We all have the capacity to do it in different ways. Mm. And right now, and in the last decade or so, I don't remember exactly when, Cornell University in New York has a program with the acronym CARE, C-A-R-E. And they have designated the Waterford Country School program as a CARE-based, uh, oh, I forget the language that you use, but they've qualified to, to um, as a CARE, they represent what they teaching in this care program, which is and the value system in institutions for children. And what I find interesting is that, well, a couple of things. One is that the current program and the care program are in essence exactly what my grandmother did from the 1920s on and what my parents did. And then Fast forward 50 years, and I'm with an Aboriginal elder who chose in his life to become a teacher. And he based primarily his teachings on something called Tanini, which in the desert language means to care for. So you see? Oh. Grandmother Redleaf, a Cherokee elder, she said, there is no new medicine. And I believe that's true. Mm. When she's saying there that, can you perhaps expand on that a bit? I think I understand what you mean, but I'd like to hear it in your words. But what you've, we've been speaking to, I guess, maybe I'll try and see if I can summarise what I think I've heard and you can then expand on it. But I think what you're saying about this medicine, the medicine is this inner love and care, this inner love that then can shine out as care for other people which is what your grandmother and your parent, your grandparents and your mother, your, grand, your parents did. And this connection with nature, this idea of living well 
and which is living in this joyful space rather than having the burdens and the cares of society on you. Is that what what she's talk what you're talking about there in terms of nine new medicine? It's those those central basic, very elemental things. In part, I mean that's that it's a big statement. There is no new medicine, and it certainly has a lot of parts to it. What I remember, uh, what comes to mind immediately is that when I, my, my husband um, made a film with a woman by the name of Melanie Hogan and, uh, and uh, Andy Mullins and his brother in um, 2006, I believe it was released, called Canini. Mm. And when I saw that film for the first time, I was in America, it was before I had met my husband. It was a year and a half before. And I, after I watched it, I got, that night, I was woken up by a voice in the middle of the night that was so loud, it was as if a megaphone was over my face in my bed. And it said, clear as a bell, woke me up out of a dead sleep at three o'clock in the morning. This is the root. Wow. That's fairly direct. So... <laughs> There's, there's no messing with that message really, is there? So what did you do when you heard that message? Well, that was a time in my life when, when, uh, when I got lots of messages in, in a very clear way. <laughs> Some people get put on medication for that sort of thing. But for me, it was what I trusted and what I knew to be true, and what I knew to be the most extraordinary guidance I, that was so close to me that it, it, it meant more to me than anything else. And, and so, just, yeah. Sorry, just to clarify, so the message was that you'd seen the Kanyini film, then you get the message, this is the root, so you're talking here about the essence of the teaching inside that film? In part, that's part of it, but, um, but I'm talking about something actually more, uh, more intrinsic to the meaning of life also. Because when I heard that voice, I connected it to two other messages that I had received. The first one had been 20 odd years before that. And it rattled around in my head for those 20 odd years without really fully understanding why I was told that and what was I to do with it. And that message was, love is the key to all things. Love is the key to all things. And then fast forward, not too long before I got woken up by this is the root. And I had a, a very clear message when I was in the midst of what felt like turmoil and betrayal and, and just life challenges. It was a divorce. It was the loss of job. It was all kinds of things at once. And I was told very simply, go deeper. Go deeper. Mm. And then this is the root. So... Everything needs a foundation. 
everything needs a starting point. For us, it really should be creation and the energy of the super consciousness of creation. That is our starting point. But in this physical life, we then have all of these other aspects of life to navigate, which are societies and cultures and laws and imbalances, people doing the wrong thing, impositions, unfairness, inequalities, pollution, and it goes on and on and on in terms of the traumas and the violence that we might encounter in life. Mm. And these are all things that sometimes are unavoidable, especially when we're very young. You know, we all find ourselves in, in situations where we're not immune to these things. And then how do we navigate that to stay in touch with the love that is the root of all things to the energy of the super consciousness? And that's the $60 million question. Well, it is, isn't it? That's exactly right. And it is, I mean, my view is that those, those things that are happening in our lives, you're right, they, they are distractions back. They're really distracting us from that truth that you've just shared, which I, I'm in complete alignment with you on that. I believe love and that super consciousness is the center of everything. And if we can be expanding and working, really expanding and living from that space, that place as an expression of love, then life can have become miraculous but it's these distractions that we get of mainstream life and society. And I'm not sure about you. I'd be interested in your view on this, but I mean, my view is that we, we come here to learn some lessons and to expand through those physical experiences to then come to a point of remembering who we truly are, which is love and this part of being part of super consciousness. So I guess that's the way I sort of view how to navigate life. I'd be interested in your view on that. Absolutely. I think we, we, we come in, and my husband used to talk about this all the time, that we all come from this ocean of oneness. We all come from that. We all come from the same spiritual base. And when we come into the physical world, we choose, we choose where, who our parents are. And we bring with us that beauty and that soul that knows everything mm. and and then we're given this thing called free will we're given free will and we have to navigate that free will along with being part of all that there is in this world and where do we fit in and as we come in there are, there are things about being alive. There are certain um, drives that come with that. And one is just to survive. So we want to survive, of course. And the other is to belong. We need to belong to something. We need to know we're loved. We need to connect. Everything is in relationship. And where do we fit in? Where do I fit in in my own identity and uniqueness? Mm. And those three things also include creating. We're creative beings. That's it. So 
through that free will, we choose in every moment, in every thought, in every word, in every action. Now, sometimes the thoughts can have their root in things that are not love. And those are things that, you know, especially as young children, we might have had experiences, or even as adults, we might have experiences that are painful because they're not loved. There's something else that might be violent or traumatic. And still, we, we still have free will. We have choice. And the question is, how do we break free and get back to the root of love, which is our, our original authentic identity? How do we break free from that, that circuit that we can get stuck in of limiting self-beliefs, that we're something less than that? You've just hit the nail on the head. Absolutely, Barbara. That's exactly, and it's exactly the philosophy that I follow and we work with here at Your Freedom Unlimited is exactly that. Freedom, how do we break free? You've used that word, how do we break free? And the good news is, is that we can do it through doing things like understanding that our perspective is everything. What we choose to focus on, those thoughts that we, that can seem random, you know, as you say, there's some thoughts that are not rooted in good things. We can, we can move those thoughts on into, into more love-based thoughts. So, so powerful, such powerful teaching. And so this, what I am loving hearing is that you, you are translating for me an ancient wisdom culture of my country and how beautiful that you have been able to do that. Because as we were talking before we started recording, I was saying to you that as a white woman, I have, you know, I'm conscious of the really not great history of since Europeans have been in Australia. And I understand all the pain and the hardship that has been inflicted as a result of that. And I think there's a certain level of shame that I carry, not, you know, because of the colour of my skin. And so therefore it makes it, as we're wanting to connect with our First Nations people here in Australia, how do we do it in a way that is appropriate but not going to cause more harm? And because I think I've got such a fear of doing or saying the wrong thing, I don't even know where to start. And I think it's this fear of causing more harm that actually keeps some of the barriers up rather than, than stepping forward and, and to learn more. So you're, you're translating all of this for us today. Well, I, 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 I really commend you for putting that into words because I've heard it so many times from so many people. And I think that um, from everything that I have learned about having an Aboriginal husband, about growing up with children with all kinds of differences, wherever it has come from, what I understand is that we still all have that need to belong and connect. Mm and we still all have that birthright really to just be ourselves mm. just like the grasshopper just like the tree just like the air and the water everything has a right to be itself because as my husband says everything is created in a perfect state 
so become part of it yes and yet we have we have pushed each other away saying i'm part but you're not good enough to be part because you've got that color skin or you've got that whatever mm. and in order to regain that connection to reconnect what we've really got to do is rebuild trust and what i was told through the ethers years ago when i was in a certain situation i was told very clearly time doesn't heal truth does and truth over time rebuilds trust wow that's quite profound. You know, I think this, because I think you're right. I think it'd be, if I can just rewind, you've, you've, you've covered quite a bit of ground there. And I'd like to go back to this notion. You, you said that Uncle Bob said that we are, we need to step into the, we are perfection. And I think one of the big illusions of our society, our modern day society is that we are imperfect. And I think there's been, there's been a range of, there's a range of reasons for that. Religious teachings, a whole range of things. I won't go into it, but there's a view among many of us, um, that we're not perfect. And I know I held that view about myself for a very long time. But when I did exactly as you said, when I stepped into understanding that I am perfect as I am, even in my imperfection, I'm perfect, and that I'm worthy to be a part of all of this, everything changed. And that's really the central reason in terms of why I'm doing this podcast, because I think this is such a central thing for people to really step into about themselves, is that we are perfect as we are, and we are here to expand and create, as you've said, but the, the basic building block of that has to be we mm -hmm. are from love and we are perfect in that love. And then if we can come from that very solid, worthy place of being within ourselves, then we can be expressing our love out to the world without requiring it. If, when I'm in that place, I don't require it from you. I don't require love from you. I just know that I'm part of that, that homeostasis that we were talking about earlier. And it's it's all it's all going to work together isn't it so then on to this question of trust so your 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 thinking or your your view here is that it's about building trust between say different cultures is is that where our answer is well i think this time in particular mm. there there's a big theme going on about trust mm. and and who do who does humanity trust who do we as individuals trust who do we listen to who has the answers who is in integrity and who is not and you know you've got you've got the news reporting all kinds of uh, things happening in the world that are are clearly uh, not with regard to human dignity mm are clearly immoral, are clearly wrong. You've got violence, you've got uh, greed, you've got corporate greed, you've got, you know, to, in every level, we're seeing this and some of it is coming into the light. Some of it is being exposed. You know, the Me Too thing and the, and the, all the royal commissions and the, you know the issues of of uh, child molestation and human trafficking and and it goes on and on and on 
and who do we trust? Mm. And what it comes right down to is that we all need a, a belief system, a base, a root, a, a, a starting point where we know the sacredness of creation, mm. where we know that we came from that and we're going back to that. And as far as perfection and imperfection, the way I see it is that there's an issue of semantics here. Mm -hmm. Because our culture aligns certain characteristics and qualities to perfection, typically. That we, before we talk about being perfect, we really have to identify what is my interpretation of perfect. Now, I always tell my grandchildren, if, if they might say to me, oh, I want to be taller or, I, oh, you know, I'm not tall enough is the classic one for a growing child. Well, guess what? Creator doesn't make any mistakes. That's the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And if we can start with that, recognizing that we're all these, you know, the, the, the extraordinary sacredness of life and the perfection of creation, if it's created, it's meant to be. Yes. It's there for a reason beyond what humans have created. I'm talking about the natural world. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow, even if we believe that, even if we use those words, somehow we can still diminish ourselves in that and say, oh yeah, well, he's a celebrity, but I'm just little me. Who am I? I'm not that. And you see, if we really believe in the sacredness of creation, how can we possibly leave out one grain of sand. That's right. How could we even question it? I, I, think you've, I think you've raised such a good point there around the semantics. The, it's actually the language of the word. It's the, the way we have the word perfect wired up in our minds. It's possibly even not a great word to try and describe what we're trying to describe right now because it's about, it's more about, it's a worthiness of being. And it's an, I think, because when I'm talking about when I'm talking, when I talk about love and being coming back to that, that, that elemental state that you're talking about, it's also, it's about that authenticity of who we really are. And so rather than perfect, it's we're, we're, we're worthy in our authenticity of who we really are. I don't think I've got the words quite right there, but do you know, I think, you, do you know what I mean? It's this, I might do goofy things, but that's who I am. You know, I, you're right, I might be taught what, what, what society might say is too tall or too short or too wide or too whatever, but that's how it was meant to be. Well, I think that you have actually really honed in on exactly what it's about. Mm. The authenticity, authenticity is the same as the uniqueness of the natural diversity of life. Everything is unique. Everything, everyone, every being That's is it. uniquely itself and has a right to be that. And that was, that's ordained by an energy of a superconsciousness that goes beyond what any law can dictate. 
for a government to dictate that, for example, certain Aboriginal children who have mixed race heritage need to be assimilated and made into the white culture, mm. brought into the white culture to save them. You know, th this is not an acceptance of that. And, and there are so many, however subtle attitudes that we can all carry where we think less than something mm. because it's what Al Gore called an inconvenient truth. That's it. What a great term he used there. And you're right. And you know the way I try, because, I mean, judgment seems to be part of this human condition, no matter how much we want to judge less it's, it can still be there within us and do you know the way that I've got around that I'd be curious to know how you've got around it but the way I sort of work with this is that I sort of extrapolate back to okay if we're all part of this super consciousness that you and I've been talking about it means that I'm part of the whole that you're also a part of so when I'm looking at you I'm looking at myself and so that allows me to have a greater acceptance of all difference because you know if effectively we're all i'm looking back i'm looking through my eyes at your eyes but i'm looking really at myself that's how i sort of work with that and i've found that has really helped me reduce the judgment but increase the love and increase the acceptance where 10 15 years ago i might have been and i was you know judgmental of things I, i'm now able not all the time not perfect not at all but it helps me it helps me see everything in that everything as as equal i don't know how you work with that i'd be curious about your views well i think i think your your question how how i work with that is <laughs> that's that's a very uh meaningful turn of phrase because i do work with it you know i'm a work in progress and that's what life is. It's a journey where we're on this continuum of always going deeper, mm. always going deeper into what we're learning because it is about learning and it's about consciousness and it's about love and it's about the choice in every moment of what we're going to come to. And as far as judgment, I, I, I believe what, what I find myself doing is reverting back to a natural law that became very clear to me and through my husband's teachings, which is that opposites walk together in everything, including in us. And there is at some level, no separation between anything when you get right down to the essence of who we are, which is that same energy of a super consciousness of creation. Mm. And so if opposites walk together in everything, you know, there, but by the grace of God go I, mm. we all have these different experiences and how we respond to them usually is the best we are able. And for those who are less able to respond to love. Well, that to me begs the question, what have they endured that wasn't that? 
that didn't give them a chance to be their whole loving self. And, and so, you know, going back to the issue of trust, to rebuild trust, we've got to, number one, we've got to be ourselves. We've got to be that authentic self. And then we've got to be humble in our learning so that, you know, throughout life, we learn more and more. And if someone's going to trust me, it's, it's perhaps because I've learned a little bit. I've learned enough to be trusted, to be humble, to be, to listen. And then the third component of that is that I've got to care. Mm. Actually got to show compassion to the point of empathy. The deeper I can care, the deeper I can truly care about you or someone else. All those three aspects are absolutely necessary to rebuild trust. Mm. And those are the truths of, that come from me, the truth of my authentic self, expressing and sharing, really, some knowledge with compassion for you. Mm. I care about you. I don't have a hidden agenda that's about me, that's self-serving. This is an agenda that's connected to the wholeness of life that includes you and doesn't leave you out. So all that, there's no room for judgment when you really care about another person and that you understand that, you know, there's a reason that they're responding to you in the way that they are. Mm. I actually, what's coming into my head is something that I read in a book called Treading Lightly. It was written by an Aboriginal man with a a co-writer and I, forgive me, I forget his name, but he's passed now. It's called Treading Lightly. And he wrote something that really moved me about the definition of respect. And so respect to me ties right in with human dignity. Mm. And it's a very big word in Aboriginal way. And it should be a big word in our culture. But it's a word that's often misunderstood because when we think of respect in a Western context, we often think that I am in in a almost a, a subservient way. I'm showing my respect to to you because you're more important or you know, I, I'm giving myself over in that way. But this, in this book, he wrote about respect in, in the most exquisite way. And he explained that in his culture, respect, when you respect someone, it's when you trust them enough that you completely open yourself up to them because they have earned that through your belief that they have the capacity to understand you. That's beautiful. How beautiful is that? So it's, this, it's a reframing of, of what respect is. Yes, you, you respect them enough. So let me just play that back. So it's respect them enough to trust, to allow them in. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's not that you're allowing them in. It's that you're opening yourself up to oh. them. Mm. So what they do with that is theirs. Mm. But you, you're, you're, you're not, you're revealing yourself to them mm. because 
you believe that they have the capacity to take to understand that mm. or it for them to find meaning in that so the trust comes in understanding they've got the capacity to understand that they've got the capacity to see your you see you in your authenticity that's right yeah that's beautiful and and it is beautiful and and this is what we need to rebuild trust mm. we need to bring back that respect mm. we need to earn it and 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 we earn it not through words which is our world we 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 want to buy everything or talk everything we earn it through action it's it's in what we do not in what we say and i i've had a very interesting recent kind of oh i don't know i mean in my very personal journey of going deeper i had a recent experience that helped help me make sense of a dynamic that's been happening in my life for a very long time that i've noticed and that dynamic is i always felt like i would blunder my way through life very clumsily and i would even no matter how much fear i had i would jump in with both feet i'd put myself in these positions and i would sometimes be absolutely publicly humiliated because i really wasn't quite mature enough to handle the situation or whatever it was and and but i would learn from my actions i would always learn and i would always be given it was as if i was given the teaching after i did that and i used to think then this is a couple of decades ago i used to think oh my gosh i must really be paying back a lot of karma to have to suffer all of this embarrassment by making a fool of myself over and over but i always get a teaching afterwards and what i just experienced not too long ago was that i i did something i think it was a talk and i just i was asked to do it and i offered it up and then of course after the talk i thought to myself oh i i really should have shared this and i should have shared that and and the next day i went for a walk and i very strongly felt my husband's presence and all of a sudden i had this it was as if i had this knowing this understanding that just dropped in about wisdom and about understanding and knowledge and the way that develops and it's actually earned it's earned Can and it's earned it, 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 it's to, from in my in my circumstance in my personal experience I have to earn it through my willingness at whatever price to do what I'm guided to do and truly guided not I've got some personal agenda to for whatever for some self-serving reason but truly okay the universe has put me in this position I must meet it even though I I I I might not feel ready I might feel like I'm inadequate. Really me? Or don't you want so and so instead who can speak so with so much more articulate wisdom or knowledge. So wisdom wisdom and understanding is earned. Mm. And and we earn it not through what we desire, not through setting an intention, 
but through the action that we follow through with when we have the inner guidance that comes from our very soul so the mind and the body the actions and the talk should be bowing to the soul within mm. and when that happens and we do the action even if it's even if it's you know the next day we say to ourselves as i did oh i should i could have said that i should have said that you know it, it, there's so much more to that and so the next day i know more than i did the day before when i actually actioned it well it's not about that about just showing up with the right heart and service and let okay. that soul come through and so the action comes from that and the talk comes from that not the other way around i look i complete i completely get what you're talking about and i feel like i've had that learning or that teaching myself this year in particular with doing this podcast there's, you know, I'll record an episode or I'll be doing an interview like this with someone like you and I think, oh, I should have said that or whatever. But I now realise that in the moment, whatever came through was the thing that was meant to come through. And there's a, to use that word again, there's a perfection in that that it didn't need. It's, it's like the artist, no more, no, no more paint was needed on the canvas. That was enough, enough paint on the canvas in that moment. I think that's what you're saying is that just really accepting, but you're also talking here about channeling the wisdom of the source through and allowing that to speak rather than our, our humanness to speak. Is that what you're saying? Well, in a sense, but I'm going to go into the semantics a little bit mm. because channeling the wisdom of the source is the same as channeling the wisdom of the soul. Yes. I would agree with that. The soul within. Yeah. That is one with that source in a sense at some level. And, I, you know, I got woken up. I was deeply troubled. Oh, my gosh. A couple of months ago. And this, this is going to sound a little wacky, but I, I, I was so unwell, I couldn't get off the couch. And the only thing I had energy to do was turn on the television. And I watched a program that detailed the history of a country that I never related to or knew anything about. And I was so deeply emotionally shattered mm. by that history. The history of colonization, the history of, of the indigenous people being just decimated with so much violence. And yet the program also showed the beauty of that culture. I was shattered. And I went to bed after watching this program, I went to bed in blubbering tears, absolutely shattered. And I sent prayers and I basically said, look, I don't know why, why am I so deeply touched by this? I never related to this culture or these people. Is there something there I'm, I'm not, I'm missing? Is there something there for me to understand? Because I haven't been moved like this since I first came to Australia. And I got woken up by a dream from a dream that showed me a family connection to mm. that culture. 
But then, and I thought, oh, okay, well, there's a link, but it still didn't make any sense to me. But then, two hours later, a voice wakes me up. And the voice said, the mind wants to know what the soul knows. Oh, wow. So it was time for your humanness to connect back with that, that memory and that connection. Is that how you interpret that? I think that the veil is so thin now. Mm. I think that what's happening is that the frequency on the planet is so shifting mm. that there's a lot that's coming through that may not be coming through in a developmentally linear pattern according to what our consciousness is ready for. Mm. And the mind does want to know what the soul knows, but still it has to be earned through our actions. Mm. And so whatever it is, I have to have a certain acceptance of my own emotional response and reactivity to things without knowing why. And of course, that's the language of spirit. You don't know why until they tell you why. No. And, and so the details of that connection with that culture, whatever they are, it, the mind wants to know. Mm. But it's my soul that I, that, that this is the time for me to really bow to that soul within. It's my soul within that knows. And yet I'm in this physical life. I'm in this physical world in service in whatever way I was born for a purpose. And that is what I have to action without mm -hmm. dwelling on the details, if you know what I mean, about what comes along. That's it. Listening for those. And you are very adept at listening and hearing the messages. And well, I would assume that would come from, you know, your, your, your experiences as a girl when you were a young, young, you know, a child, you, you would have been learning to listen and tune in in a different way because the children that you would have been grown, would have grown up with would not have communicated the way you and I are now potentially. So there probably was a requirement for you to learn and listen at an energetic level. But it's the other thing you're doing. It also appears to me though, is that you're also, you have the grace to take on board the, the, the wisdom as, as it comes and to remember those key messages, like the, the one 20 odd years ago about love and then to connect those things together. There's it's a lot of power in that. And I think you obviously have a presence of spirit to, be able to hear all of that well for for what it's worth jen i will also say that spirit put me through the rigors so i um how do i say this i, I left home when i was about 19 i had two children both planned all i knew how to do was be a mother and then at a certain point i what can I say? Things happened to me in life that were like gifts of grace that literally pushed me into doing practices 
in order to gain some knowledge and understanding of self in order to be able to listen, mm. listen inwardly, because mm. truly, even though I did, I, I did in the, in the oddest ways, because I had guidance that, that externally, especially to my immediate family, I have six siblings and nieces and nephews and cousins and everything. And I was uh, an enigma, I would say, in terms of some of my life choices. But my life choices were driven by an inner feeling that didn't make any sense to me or others, but I knew I had to do. Mm. And where that comes from, I don't know. But I always felt it was a gift. And it was a gift, perhaps, because, well, I don't know. If it was a destiny, I don't question that. It just is. And we all have guidance. We all have ancestors that walk with us. Mm. But it took decades of me practicing. It was a practice. It was a, and it still is of practicing learning how to listen, which means you can't listen if you're on output. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. You cannot listen if you're on output. I was working with a client just this morning and this was the theme of the discussion. It was enough of out there. It's time to come back in here. And she, she knows what she needs to do and this, she understands her process for doing that, which is journaling and meditation. And it was just about turning off the output outside so she can come back inside. And I know that's been where my greatest gift has been. And I love the way you put that. You've got to turn off that output plug, haven't you? And just come back inside. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, Barbara, we have a lot to talk about. This is going to be part one of a two-part episode because we haven't even heard your story of what happened when you came to Australia and your beautiful meeting with Uncle Bob. And I want to do that story some justice. So I'd like us to meet again, if we may, um, so that we could do part two. Um, you have shared with us today some incredible teachings of Uncle Bob's ancient culture. And the beauty of it is, is there's such a synergy, you know, it's a, it's a universal, teaching that, that he's sharing and that you're sharing with us. So it's been great to actually hear some of that today. But before we close, um, I'd like to just go back, though, to the comment you made there. It's, that it's been a practice over years. What is something that you do? How, how do you do that internal listening? What, what's something that you have learned over those years that works for you? Well... There has to be a humble motivation. There has to be a basis of belief that there is an, a super intelligence to creation that exists, that reaches out to all of us and is part of all of us. And so it reaches out through the ancestors who are immersed in what the soul knows. That's that's their reality in spirit world. Mm. And we all have their support in coming to that 
understanding within ourselves so that we can be more in touch with that soul within that is one with the universal soul of knowing, of understanding, of love, and of the choices to make in every moment so that we can be in harmony with that love. And I think, I think the most meaningful teaching I was ever given when it comes to that is something that my husband gave me after he died. And it was a very, um, it was, it was a very extraordinary moment the day after he passed when um, I was by myself absolutely sobbing. Mm. Uluru was right outside the window and the birds were chirping and the sun was out and it was a bucolic day that, that it was so perfect in every way and he was gone. Mm. And I was sobbing. Mm. And in, in, in a timeless moment, I don't even know how to describe it. It was as if he just cut through all of it and I heard him say to me, clear as anything, every time you have a sad thought, you must match it with a thought of gratitude for the time that we have together. This is your work. Because in the natural order of things, everything walks together with its opposite. This will give you the internal structure from which you will do your external work of service. How incredibly powerful. And so all of the thoughts that I, that rattle around in my, you know, left brain head, all of those thoughts, I know that I have choice of which ones I strengthen and which ones I complement with a stronger thought that's based in gratitude, in love, in compassion, in empathy, whatever it is, it's not fear and it's not anger and it's not hatred and it's not resentment and it's not jealousy. I have the capacity to match it. And it was interesting to me that he didn't say, don't mourn, don't grieve. He said, match it. Because those thoughts are there. Once, once we have an experience, it's, it is there. Mm. It's in our memory. We're not meant to forget it. We're simply meant to go deeper. Mm. And so that was the tool that he gave me, was to take responsibility for my thoughts and to start there, such that I could choose where I wanted to go with that. That's so incredibly profound. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and there's such wisdom in, in what he sh the tool he's given you because you're right, those thoughts and that experience of him passing, it's in your energetic field now. It's, it's, it, it is what it is to use a modern vernacular, but how do we live with what it is? And that's the tool that he's given you, which is match those thoughts with thoughts of gratitude for the time we had together. That's just incredibly powerful and incredibly beautiful. 
So what a blessing he remains for all of us. And he's still teaching right now. (laughs) And will continue to do so through your beautiful work. So I just want to say thank you so much for the time you've spent with me today. And if you're open to it, I'd love to have you back again where you could share more of your story in terms of your coming to Australia and how you met him. I know it's a beautiful story and I'd love our listeners to hear that and then to hear what your life was like and to understand more of these these beautiful wisdom teachings that you've learned. Because as you've said earlier, we've both said, the time is really right now. The veil is getting a lot thinner and things are speeding up energetically. And there's a lot of people who are really ready to open and be, to, to move away into more freedom, move away from pain and into more freedom. And I truly believe it's through these sorts of discussions that we can do that. So, and learning these specific tools, it's about getting practical right now Mm. and learning these specific tools. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm just going to ask you, is there, if people want to get in contact with you, if they hear this episode before they hear number two, how are best people best to get in contact with you? I would say just an email. Um, it, which is Barbara Randall, the spelling of my name, uh, R-A-N-D-A-L-L, and then the number four at iCloud.com. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind the times when it comes to technology and all of, the <laughs> all of the official ways that people stay connected. So um, hopefully someone else will come in and take care of that, that part of this work. That my husband has left with me this responsibility, and but for now that's great. Anyone, I'm I'm a I'm pretty much an open book, so. Well, you certainly are, and you're an absolute blessing to us, Barbara. And definitely, email is just fine. It still works very very well. So let's go with that. So I'll put Barbara's um, email in the show notes and a link to a couple of things we've spoken about, which is the um, Canyoni uh, film. And also the um, Waterford School, I'd like to put a connection for that as well, because I think there's just such obviously beautiful work and such a legacy from your family um, in terms of their, their, the way that they lived and the joy that they, they lived and served children. So I just want to say thank you so much, Barbara, for your time. I'm really looking forward to our next episode where we will dive even more deeply, go even more deeply, as you've said, into your story. So thank you. Thank you, Jen. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening.